Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Thank you, Chuck D. and the House Band Public Enemy. I'm John Fugelsang. This is SiriusXM Progress. We are so glad to be with you for the next three hours. There's a lot we got to get to. My God, the carnage in the House. I mean, it's a bloodbath. Republicans destroying Republicans. Folks, what does it mean when the Republican Party can't get it together enough to pass a defense bill? That That's that's usually the And And what does it mean when Nancy Pelosi is 82 years old, but could hold her caucus together, and Kevin McCarthy is 56, and it's a yard sale. You know what it means. It means the ageism. Well, it's not going to go away no matter what. But for the next three hours, we're going to be bringing you some of the best political analysis and some laughs as well right here on Sirius XM Progress. I'm John saying I'm so happy to be with you. Uh, I'm going to be broadcasting live along with our great producer, Chris Hauselt, who is live out of the South Carolina studios. The great Thea Harper is with us outside in the uh, Brooklyn studios. And of course, tonight on the show, Kristen Rowe Finkbeiner, who is the executive director of Moms Demand, to talk all about... Well, how we proved that if you want to end child poverty, the government can do it. We know that in 2021, we achieved the lowest rate of child poverty in the history of this country because of government spending. And then when the child tax credit was allowed to expire, thank you, Manchin, child poverty doubled in 2022. We have the numbers. We know we can severely impact the suffering of child poverty in this country if we want to. The problem is we haven't figured out how to let rich guys get rich from ending child poverty. Also, Lee Papa, the root pundit, is going to be here. And oh, my God, are we going to make fun of Kevin McCarthy tonight? I'm really glad you'll be with us. And as always, our most important guest is you guys. We're at 866-997-4748 for the next few hours. 866-997-GRIT. Rudy Giuliani has been sued by his own lawyer for $1.4 million in unpaid legal fees. Weekly COVID hospitalizations have now hit 20,000. 20,000 people went to the hospital for COVID that we know of for the first time since March. And of course, it's getting pretty rocky for the new COVID booster because people are suddenly realizing I'm going to get charged $200 for a vaccine because the government 
And their insurers are no longer underwriting this. The CDC is urging uninsured Americans to visit vaccines.gov to locate free and low-cost booster shots. Again, guys, vaccines.gov. Cases are going up. Uh, Biden has been in New York City, spoke at the U.N. today. We'll be bringing you clips from there. Zelensky as well. And of course, um, (laughs) the federal government's going to shut down in 16 days because Republicans can't stand Republicans. It used to just be Matt Gates ruining everything for us. Now he's 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 ruining it for his own party. I'd love to laugh, but ooh, I'm too busy weeping. So let's have a show. 866-997-4748. I should let you know we taped a really terrific interview today with our friend Marianne Williamson, who's of course an author, an activist, and is running again for the presidency of the United States. And I'm a fan of Marianne Williamson. I think if you look at what she says on paper, uh, it's everything that our friends on the left preach all the time, but because she's someone who comes from spirituality, it's often, you know, she gets written off as being, oh, you you must be a uh, Stones lady. You must be a, a, a Wiccan person. But I'm really hoping you listen to this conversation. We're going to air it tomorrow. Uh, it's really smart. And she's running as a Democrat, not as a third party. I happen to believe that Joe Biden being in a crowded field in 2020 made Joe Biden a better candidate and a more progressive candidate. I look forward to getting your thoughts on it. Oh, one more thing. Russell Brand. He's not going to uh, be making money off YouTube anymore. Now, how do you feel about that? In light of all the accusations against him, YouTube has some policies and they say that they can stop letting him monetize off their free website. You know, I'm kind of torn. I think the man's innocent until proven guilty. At the same time, this is a private corporation. They are allowed to do what they want. If they don't want someone accused of sexual abuse to be making money on their platform, they 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 can pull the plug. That's how it works here in capitalism. And, of course, our right-wing friends are all flocking to Russell's defense, which is understandable. But I couldn't help but wonder if he'd been credibly accused by four different people of molesting children. Would Ben Shapiro and Charlie Kirk be so eager to defend him? Tonight, let's kick off with this. Joe Biden needs to be seen on a picket line now. Okay, labor's had a pretty big year. We can agree. This last summer, UPS and the Teepsters reached an incredible deal to avoid a massive strike. The workers there got higher wages and they got rid of their two-tier pay system. And the American public, you may have noticed, really is supporting the Hollywood screenwriters and the actors who walked out. The screenwriters went out in May over job security and other concerns. The actors followed in July. An L.A. Times analysis showed that the pay for Hollywood executives is up 53% from 2018. And the pay for Hollywood executives is more than 100 times that of the average writer's pay. People are siding with working people. We saw it this last weekend when a couple of celebrities tried to cross the picket line, Bill Maher and Drew Barrymore. They had to reverse their plans to resume their shows really quick because, well, uh, the market decides, but sometimes the people decide too. And we're born into the system. We all live in the system of baked-in oligarchy, wage theft, and and structural inequality. The deck has always been stacked. This country was founded by wealthy white men who designed a country where only wealthy white men would be allowed to vote. And that's what we've been fighting our whole country's history. It's never been conservative versus liberal, really. It's always been aristocracy versus democracy. The top 10% of our population has seen their real income go up by 145% since 1980. The bottom 50% of this population has only seen their real income go up 20% since 1980. 
145% for the haves, 20% for everybody else. Families in the top 1% in America right now earn more than 26 times what families in the bottom 99% earn. I'm not against wealth. I'm not against privilege. I'm against greed. I'm against structural inequality because that slows the entire society down. You can tax billionaires a lot and they won't even feel it. And Joe Biden needs to be seen on a picket line now. See, auto workers, as you guys know, walked off their jobs in three Midwest plants last Thursday. Just before midnight, the first UAW strike in history to go after all three big automakers who pretty much control the business in Detroit. And the workers are asking for a 40% pay raise, a shorter work week, the elimination of the tier system that I've talked about a lot on this show, how when Biden and Obama saved Detroit a few years back, one of the concessions the UAW made was a two-tier pay system where brand new hires will not enjoy the same wages as previous hires. So you can be doing the same job as the guy next to you on the line, making conspicuously less. And they want to have a pension plan, you know, a 1980s style pension plan they can count on. Are they going to get all these things? Of course they're not, but they're going for it. The Detroit three automakers are making huge profits. And the auto workers launched their strike knowing they could expect support from President Joe Biden because he calls himself America's most pro-labor president in history. And after the strike began, Biden told the companies to share their profits with workers. He sent his aides to Detroit to have some talks. Biden is the most pro-union president in history. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not me saying that. That is uh, Nikki Haley, who is currently running for president, former Donald Trump ambassador to the U.N. Here she is on, oh, shucks, kids, where else? Fox News is saying that Biden is the most pro-union president. And listen to how she thinks that's a bad thing. Well, I think that's uh, it tells you that when you have the most pro-union president and he touts that he is um, emboldening the unions, this is what you get. And I'll tell you who pays for it is the taxpayers. You know, here, from what I understand, the union is asking for a 40 percent raise. Um, You know, the companies have come back with a 20 percent raise. I think any of the taxpayers would love to have a 20 percent raise and think that's great. But, you know, the problem is this is going to we're all going to suffer from this. This is going to cost things to go up. And, you know, this is going to last a while. But, you know, when you have a president that's constantly saying, go union, go union, this is what you get. The unions get emboldened and then they start asking for things that, you know, that companies have a tough time doing. In other words, working people be thinking too much. Now, wait, wait, a 40 percent pay raise. That, that sounds shocking. Well, no, it's not. See, here's the thing. Nikki Haley just proved something. She proved that being smarter than Vivek Ramaswamy doesn't mean you're smart. The 40% figure is really symbolic, and it's there for a reason. It's there so people like Nikki Haley will repeat that and get the meme out. Sean Fain is the UAW president, and he has pointed out that the CEOs of GM, Ford, and Stellantis, that used to be Chrysler, they have seen their own pay rise by that much in the four years since auto workers had their last contract. They got a 40% pay raise, and the workers are asking for a 40% pay raise not because they think they'll get it. They want to draw attention to the fact that the bosses got that kind of pay raise. And they're doing well, these automakers. You know, the average price for a new car at the end of last year was $49,000. I mean, in the end of 2019, it was $39,000. They're doing really well. GM earned $10 billion in net profits in 2022. 
Let me say that again. GM, 10 billion in net profits last year. Stellantis, formerly Chrysler, got profits of almost 18 billion. Mary Barra, the chief executive of GM, her total compensation for last year, 29 million. You know how much she had as a raise since 2019? 34%. James Farley of Ford, his total compensation, 21 million. That's 21% more than the guy in the job before him made in 2019. And it's over at Stellantis, formerly Chrysler. Carlos Tavares took home uh, about 25 million in today's dollars, 23 million euros, which is a 77% increase over what the former CEO of Fiat Chrysler got four years earlier. The automakers are rolling in dough and they can very definitely afford to share fairly with their workers. When your CEO takes $29 million in a year... So I want to introduce you to Sean Fain. If you haven't had the pleasure of hearing UAW president yet, get used to it. Here he is talking to Jake Tapper, spelling it out. When workers ask for their fair share, it's always the end of the world. And, you know, um, no one, you know, the last four years in general, okay, in the last decade, these companies made a quarter of a trillion dollars in profit. In the last six months alone, they made $21 billion in profit. In the last four years, the price of cars went up 30%. CEO pay went up 40 percent. No one said a word. No one had any complaints about that. But now, God forbid that workers actually ask for their fair share of equity in the fruits of the labor and, and the product they produce. And all of a sudden, it's the end of the world. So, um, you know, if, if uh, you know, the talking heads, the pundits, the companies want to say that, you know, if we strike, it can wreck the economy. It's not that we're going to wreck the economy. We're going to we're going to wreck their economy, the economy that Boom. only works for the billionaire class. It doesn't work for the working class. Hear that, analysts? All right, UAW president. There you go, on Tapper. So Biden needs to be seen on a picket line. Joe, I know you're listening. I, I, I care about you. I'd like to see you reelected, if not you, someone even more progressive than you, but I'm always going to give you credit. Mr. Biden, you have come a long way. And I think it's because you were running in a big, crowded field and they made you more progressive. And I've said many times, I like this version of you, old Joe Biden, better than any of the Joe Bidens I grew up with. But you need to be on a picket line. You need to be seen on a picket line. Hakeem Jeffries, John Fetterman, they've already been there. They joined auto workers on the picket line. Bernie, well, you know, Bernie's been on the picket line already. I mean, this is 13,000 auto workers on strike. They get $500 weekly strike pay. That's not a lot to live on. And, you know, the impact on the full U.S. economy depends very much on how long this strike lasts and who's affected by it. That's what Janet Yellen said yesterday. This strike by the auto workers could cost the economy $5 billion when it gets to the 10-day mark, according to the Anderson Economic Group, which looked at the estimated impact on workers, suppliers, and the wider auto industry. This five-day-old strike, it's only about one-tenth of the membership. But Sean Fain has said this could easily escalate. The last strike they had in 2019 lasted 40 days. And this strike comes as Joe Biden is leaning into his pro-union credentials because he's pushing his own working class message, born in Scranton, folks, for the 2024 election. He's trying to again win Michigan, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin because he has to win Michigan, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin or a racist reality show clown who may be a convicted felon will be the president again. Donald Trump is going to host a rally 
with the union members next week during the second Republican presidential debate. He's going to be the first 2024 candidate on either side to go to Detroit to try to make nice with the striking workers. It's vulgar for many reasons. But Trump's whole bullshit argument is that Joe Biden's support for transitioning to electric vehicles is going to hurt domestic auto jobs. He's trying anything he can do to peel blue collar workers away from Joe Biden. And, you know, there are already some blue collar workers that kind of fall for Trump's bullshit. Uh, He said the United Auto Workers are being sold down the drain. He put drain in quotation marks with all this electric car scam, he said on his website, Filth Social. Let me remind you, Donald Trump's administration, uh, he's already been president once before. So we already know how he would react towards unions. We saw how unfriendly he is towards unions. We saw his massive tax cuts for the corporations. And, of course, his many comments criticizing the 2008 bailout of the auto industry under Barack Obama. Trump has been screaming not about the billionaires, not about the wealthy CEOs. He's mad at the leadership. He said auto workers are getting totally ripped off by crooked Joe Biden and also their horrendous leadership because these people are allowing our country to do these electric vehicles that very few people want. That's not true. But then he said to the union workers to stop paying their dues. I'm telling you, you shouldn't pay those dues because they're selling you to hell. Don't listen to these union people who get paid a lot of money. They get wind and done in Washington. They know that electric cars are no good in terms of our workers. My God, you know, I'd make fun of how stupid it is if it wasn't so scary. He's literally trying to tear labor apart. And Kristen Welker, to her credit on that god-awful Meet the Press interview, tried to get him to give a direct answer. She said, which side are you on? And he said, I'm on the side of making our country great. And then he just says, electric cars, electric cars. The electric cars are all going to be made in China. (laughs) Now, here's the deal. The auto companies have already made huge investments in electric cars. It's happening no matter what. They're great. Have you driven one? It's nice. Then we need more charging stations, sure. But Donald Trump's framing is crazy, fakakta, dishonest, and wrong. The question here is not whether they're going to make electric vehicles here in the U.S. or China. The question is whether the vehicles that are electric that will be made here are going to give stable union jobs or shitty low-wage jobs. That's the only question. Biden needs to be seen on the picket line. You know what the Republican response is going to be to this? It's going to be worse than Nikki Haley. Listen to Senator Tim Scott telling reporters he'd bust unions the Ronald Reagan way. Ronald Reagan gave us a great example when federal employees decided they were going to strike. He said, you strike, you're fired. Simple concept to me. To the extent that we could use that once again, absolutely. There you go. That's the GOP point of view. It's always going to be on the side of management, never on the side of working people. That's the entire party. And if you dare put working people above the party, you're a class trader. I always ask folks, please tell me when, since Nixon gave us the earned income tax credit, when have the Republican Party put non-millionaires above millionaires on a policy level? I'm still waiting for an answer. So Sean Fain released a statement today blasting Trump's plan. Uh, to speak with auto workers and use them for a photo op in Detroit while thousands of people are striking. Every fiber of our union is being poured into fighting the billionaire class and an economy that enriches people like Donald Trump at the expense of workers. This is happening next week, this is September 27th. Trump is going to blow off the GOP primary debate and he's going to go speak to auto workers in a substance-free photo op. 
United Association of Union Plumbers and Pipefitters General President Mark McManus put out a statement blasting Trump's plan, calling him a fraud and praising Biden. And all Trump's going to do here is parachute in for a photo op with striking workers who like him. The manufacturing of electric vehicles, yes, it requires fewer workers. And Joe Biden's been very direct. He wants the transition to electric to create good paying union jobs because there's going to be electric cars no matter what. That's not going away. Supply and demand, folks. They're not going to become less popular. The only question is, will union labor be building them or will it be shitty wages? And again, UAW, they were really mad when the Department of Energy last summer gave $9.2 billion in grants to Ford and a South Korean battery maker without any assurances for workers. Thain said back then, uh, we expect action, not words. And the UAW is holding off any endorsements right now in the 2024 election to their credit. Yes, I want to see them support a Democrat, but Sean Fain said the UAW's endorsement must be earned. In April, Biden voiced support for Amazon workers' right to unionize. He dropped the ball on the rail workers, no doubt. But the White House keeps saying all workers, including actors, should be paid fairly. So the UAW strike is going directly into the heart of the 2024 election. And this is going to be a huge factor if Joe Biden is serious about winning Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin again. Can he hold the line? Can he keep support from rank-and-file union members, many of whom defected from the Democratic Party the last two times to vote for Donald Trump? Because Donald Trump has a way with a certain kind of blue-collar, white working-class guy. But public support for unions right now, my friends, is at its highest in decades. 67% of Americans approve of labor unions in 2023. That's the highest level in decades. Yes, we need more than just this. We need Joe Biden to fight for an economic bill of rights. He has to fight for tuition-free college. And he has to cancel student loans. He's got to give universal health care, paid family leave, all that stuff. Yes. Declare a climate emergency. Stop the drug war. All the things we need a liberal president to do. All of which, by the way, are moderate positions in any other first world capitalist society. Here, they should be considered moderate positions as well. I want to quote Sean Fain again. Every fiber of our union is being poured into fighting the billionaire class and an economy that enriches people like Donald Trump at the expense of workers. So don't forget what's really going on here. Don't let your Republican friends have the wool pulled over their eyes. Donald Trump is choosing to mischaracterize what's at stake. And he's attacking the union itself. Donald Trump has already given an answer. He just didn't have the guts to do it directly. But he is standing with the corporate elite. He is standing against the workers. 75% of people support the auto workers. You know what that means? That's not just the Democratic base. That's not just the big majority of swing voters. That's going into Donald Trump's working class base as well. Joe Biden's support for unions is not only the right thing to do, it is by far the politically smart thing to do if you're serious about winning re-election. Joe Biden needs to be seen on a picket line because Donald Trump and the other Republicans running for president would never, ever, ever even consider it. We want to know what you guys think. We are at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. It's going to be a great night. We're so glad to have you guys be a part of it. We're going to be back in just a minute with Kristen Rowe, Finkbinder, Executive Director, CEO, and Co-Founder of Moms Rising. And your calls, 866-997-GRIT. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. 
So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. I want to quote our next guest, if I may. Policy matters. When Republicans in Congress blocked measures that would have continued the expanded child tax credit, they stopped people from being able to afford child care and other essentials that make it possible for them to work and care for their families. This had dramatically harmful repercussions, including a punishing, painful spike in child poverty and poverty overall that the country is experiencing, which hurts our nation's businesses and its economy. We've talked about it a lot on this show. We've shown, we've seen it. The government can do this. The government, when it wants to and has the will, can drive child poverty down to the lowest level ever recorded. And when Joe Manchin has the will to let the child tax credit expire, well, we've seen what happens when child poverty doubles in just a year. Now, the quote I read from you was by Kristen Rowe Finkbeiner, executive director and CEO and co-founder of Moms Rising and board president of the Moms Rising Education Fund. She's been involved in public policy and grassroots engagement for more than two decades. She's an award-winning author and a public speaker and a media contributor and the host of the radio program, Breaking Through, powered by Moms Rising. It's a real pleasure to welcome Kristen Rowe Finkbeiner back to SiriusXM. Thanks so much for having me. And hey, I agree with that quote. Still, you read it and I was like, who is that woman? I agree with her. <laughs> I loved it. I, I, that's why I wanted to start with you. I wanted to imitate you before I let you talk. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's fair to say that Republicans and by Republicans, I include Joe Manchin. They own what the census reported, this devastating spike in child poverty, don't they? Absolutely. I mean, listen, one of the things that happened during the pandemic is we proved positively that we can increase family economic security. We can, as a nation, pass policies that allow hardworking people to put food on the table, to keep their jobs, and importantly, to help businesses not have scarcity of being able to have people hold the positions they need to run their businesses. You know, we were able to stop supply chain issues. And we were able to do that because of policies like the child tax credit and also another policy, which I hope we talk about, a child care 
expansion bill. Thank you. Which is set to expire September 30th. We need to re-up that one too. So when you have proof positive that policy matters to lift businesses, to lift our economy, to lift families, and then you have Republicans stand in the way of those policies continuing, it literally lights my hair on fire. It makes no sense. The party that says it's for family values is acting against family values. The party that says it's for our economy and businesses is acting against our economy and businesses. So what are they acting for? They're acting for corporate profit. It is not okay. Yeah, and if I may, the party that likes to boast loudly and proudly about their Christian piety is legislating directly against the direct order of Jesus, who commands his followers, individuals and nations in Matthew 25, to care for the poor. So you're exactly right. I mean, the Census Bureau reported that our poverty rate went from 7.8 in 2021 to 12.4 in 2022, which I think is the biggest one-year jump in history. It's a biggest one-year jump in history, and sadly, tragically, it's on the heels of the largest single year drop in child poverty in the history of a nation. So when we passed during the pandemic, the expanded monthly child tax credit payment, we did have the largest single year drop in child poverty. We proved that policies can make that difference. And when we had that largest single year drop in child poverty, we also had something really important happen. We had parents being able to afford things like childcare, which now costs more than college. We had parents being able to afford food and a roof over the head. We had parents being able to work in those jobs that they need to help their families thrive instead of being pushed out of the labor force by not having enough funds to put diapers on babies and food on the table. There's another report that just came out after the child tax credit expired. Not only did we have a huge jump in poverty overall, but now one in two families are experiencing diaper need, which means they don't have enough funding to have the amount of diapers that are required to raise a healthy, thriving child. And because of that, people are not able to send their kids to childcare and do lots of things that we need to do. It is not okay, people. We are in a situation that is horrible and it's all the more horrifying because it's fixable. It doesn't I mean, have to be this way. Yeah, the expanded child tax credit worked. And when poverty is reduced, it's good for all of us. And of course, a lot of folks will say, well, you're just giving away free stuff, giving away free stuff. But it's a child care tax credit. Any extra money people have in their pockets, you know this, they spend it and they stimulate their local economies. And that's how capitalism is supposed to grow and flourish. And, you know, I'm so glad you raised this because this is oddly one of my favorite topics <laughs> is what happens when people who are in low income families get money. Now, listen, what happens is not people putting money in the bank to be used in 500 years. What happens is people immediately spending that in communities, as you said, and 72 percent of our GDP right now is based on consumer spending. That means the money that we spend stimulates the economy. It helps pay for the groceries. It helps pay for the grocery it. driver. It helps pay for the farm workers. It helps pay for the farming. It helps pay throughout the whole economy. There's a positive ripple effect when we spend money. But when we don't have money to spend, when we experience poverty, we actually all lose out, not just the individual family, because that That's ripple right. effect of spending doesn't happen. Now, if you are super wealthy and you get $300 per kid per month, chances are you don't actually need that. And you probably have as many shirts and as many food items as you already need in your cupboard. So you're going to put that in the bank and you're going to not use it and you're going to take it out of the economy, right? 
Yeah. And but when we have things like the child tax credit, like child care funds, when we have things that are available immediately, like SNAP, which is food stamps, like WIC, which is uh, women yep. and infant children nutrition programs, those programs studies show are immediately used and they have a multiplying effect with the return on That's investment right. and the economy. And can you believe it? Right now, after Congress, Republicans failed to re-up the child tax credit expansion, they are now in this budget debate in Congress putting WIC on the chopping block putting right. SNAP on the chopping block and putting childcare on the chopping block. It is awful. It hurts families. It hurts the economy. It hurts businesses. And when people think, okay, well, maybe this, you know, impacts like one or two people. 86% of moms, 86% of women in America become moms. So this is not a small group of people that are being impacted by these horrible, reprehensible, awful policies. You're right. And again, it's when we give money away to rich people, they invest it. When we give money away to struggling people, they spend it. And that helps everyone in the community. Poverty hurts rich people as well. Capitalism depends on a living wage workforce that can afford to buy things. So I, I got to ask you, it seems like not completely unrelated that poverty is more prevalent among who? Rural families, immigrant families families of color? Well, it's really important to look at what's happening with wage discrimination. And this is another one of the topics that I love to raise because too few people know what's happening. So I'm going to go to basics. We're Please. talking about care and child care and all kinds of care. And first of all, I want to just say that the work of care, and it is work, paid or unpaid, is both work. And so we look at what's happening with the wage gaps that we talk about. And we recently, a couple of weeks ago, had the Equal Pay Day, which is the day in 2023 that women across all races and ethnicities have to work to in order to make what men across all races and ethnicities made in 2022. And that's right. That's it's right. at least eight months longer of work. Right. So let's mm -hmm. uncover. Let's lift up the hood. What's happening there? Well, right now, being a mom is a greater predictor of wage and hiring discrimination than gender. And because of structural racism, BIPOC moms are experiencing wage discrimination to the extent that Latina moms are earning just 49 cents to a white dad's dollar and black moms just 51 cents to a white dad's dollar. This is not OK. Again, this is taking money out of our economy and it's hurting us all. But it's showing the roots of wage discrimination back in that care infrastructure. The unpaid work of care is following women and moms in particular into the mm -hmm. paid labor force. And we're experiencing this dramatic wage discrimination. Now, it doesn't have to be this way. This is my favorite part. I love solutions. We saw the child tax. <laughs> That expansion was a solution. And we also know that studies show that when you have access to affordable child care, paid family medical leave and equitable health care, we lower those wage gaps between moms and non moms. And we would increase our GDP by between three and five percent because, hello, we all do better when we all do better. Again, our right. economy is fueled by our consumer spending. And who are the biggest consumer spenders? Moms. So when we don't That's have it. money, to Thank spend, you. it hurts our economy. Mm -hmm. uh, so you mentioned childcare expansion before. Can you unpack it a bit now? Because obviously a lot of men don't really appreciate this. 
Oh, it is a big deal. It's such a big deal. I'm going to frame this so you pay attention. You don't turn out when we're talking about child care. That Jerome Powell, our Federal Reserve Chair, recently testified in Congress that because we don't have a care infrastructure, child care in particular, it's hurting our overall international competitiveness as a country. Here's yeah. why. Yeah. Right now, child care costs more than college in most states in the nation. And even worse, and pretty much everywhere, people cannot get insurance to have childcare for any infant under age six weeks. Now, this is coupled with the fact that we are the only industrialized nation in the world that doesn't have any paid family medical leave after a new baby That's arrives. Right. That's the right. The majority of people, a large portion of people are having to go back to work within a couple of weeks of having a baby. So there's a gap here, people. There's a yeah, gap. Our, our, our capitalist allies think we're nuts for hurting our economy this way and hobbling people's ability to work. Yeah, people can't work. People are pushed out of the labor force that causes supply chain issues, that causes issues with businesses losing valued employees, having to do really costly recruitment and retraining. It causes so many issues, also in families, of course. That's a no-brainer. But here, too, during the pandemic, solutions are possible. Because of the American Rescue Plan, we saw enhanced investments in childcare facilities, in paying care workers living wages, and in investing in families not having to pay more than they can pay for childcare. But those are set to end in September 30th of this year. So it's called the Child Care Stabilization Grants. Those are set to end. We had Senator Murray and Representative Clark lead sponsor Child Care Stabilization Act that they just dropped uh, last week that puts the 16 billion with a B dollars back into the childcare system that we need in order to stabilize it. Now, this isn't gonna make it be perfect. This isn't gonna make it be the system that we need. This is going to stabilize it, people. But the key thing here too, is that for every $1 the taxpayers invest, studies show that we get at least $7 back later, and that Ooh. is due to savings. Right. Yes. That we get yes. From will you will you, now, will you, will you say that again, Kristen? Would you mind repeating that point? Because I think that's worth repeating. When we spend money, when we spend for a dollar on child care, how much do does our economy make back again? We get at least seven dollars back. Now, for a high risk family, we're getting upwards of twenty dollars back. So you wouldn't make that money back anywhere except in these types of investments. Yet we have failed as a country to continue those investments. So I want everybody who's listening to call their member of Congress, say re-up the the expanded child tax credit monthly payments, and also please advance the child care stabilization funds as well as fund WIC and SNAP. So we want to fund that child nutrition and that women and infant children nutrition as well. You know, we want to be the country that we dream possible. We don't want to hurt families, businesses, and our economy. That's not where we are. We want to rise together, not fall. I mean, think about you've got these pandemic snap relief funds and and it really saved families, not just on a moral level. Again, I, I understand a lot of Republicans just talk a lot about Jesus and they don't actually mean it. They don't really care if children are going to bed hungry. It's just it's just a, an act. I get it. But they worship capitalism. And so when they let the snap relief expire in the summer, that intensifies the hardship that so many families are facing because... <laughs> It's like falling off a cliff, as you say. And to say nothing, you already mentioned uh, uh, with WIC as well. I mean, punishing poor people with more poverty might feel good to the souls of soulless people, but it's not good for a capitalist society. 
I hope it doesn't feel good for any type of soul. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't I think... understand what's happening with some people's definition of what they're doing in their You know what's office. happened. People are socialized <laughs> to think that poor folks are lazy. A certain kind of American is socialized from birth with this pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps fiction to think that poverty is there because you don't work hard enough. And that's very easy for a lot of people to fall into that lazy kind of thinking. And it's cruel. But again, as you point out, it's really bad for the overall economy. Untrue. I mean, right now, costs are such that being able to make ends meet on a minimum wage is next to impossible when you have a family. So we need living wages. We need paid family medical leave. We need things like the monthly child tax credit. We need affordable child care and we need WIC and SNAP. All of those things make work possible. And that's what a lot of people don't realize, is that you can get pushed out of the labor force if you can't afford childcare, you can't afford diapers, you can't afford food on the table, then that actually pushes you out of the labor force, right? That's it, so yeah. We need policies that allow people to work, allow people to thrive, allow families to raise the leaders of tomorrow and allow businesses to keep their highly valued employees and not have those supply chain issues that we've all seen in the news. And as you pointed out, I mean, uh, look, obviously we need single payer health care. I mean, we have to have it. All of our capitalist allies have it. It's crazy. We don't. But just last year, we saw a decline in Americans who aren't insured, which is better for our economy as well. People who have to show up at an emergency room when they need to see a doctor costs all of us. That's that's the real socialism, not making people get insurance. And this was, of course, in a year when nobody got dropped from Medicaid. But that's about to change, isn't it? Healthcare remains a patchwork system that needs a lot of work in the United States of America. And one indicator of that that a lot of people don't know about is that of all of the World Health Organization nations, the United States of America is the only one where more women are dying in childbirth over time, not less. And when you dive into that, we see that actually black women are three to four times as likely to die in childbirth as white women. So we don't just need more access to health care. We need more access to equitable health care, to intentional health care that embraces people from all backgrounds, all races and all ethnicities in a culture of health and respect and dignity. And when we're talking about dignity, also, making living wages is about dignity. It's about dignity to be able to care for our families, to be able to care for those who are younger than us and older than us. It's about being there for our communities, and it's about being there for the businesses we work for. We need living wages in order to stay in the jobs that we love. And I'm speaking directly, in particular, about childcare workers, who are some of the lowest paid workers in our nation. That's right. And about elder care workers, who are also some of the lowest paid workers That's in our nation. So True. Those jobs in care, when you look at the um, Bureau of Labor Statistics, are some of the areas where we see dramatic expansion in the years to come. We're expecting a silver tsunami of an aging population. And importantly, those jobs in care cannot be outsourced to AI. They cannot go away. <laughs> They're going to be needed forever, and we need care. All of us are going to need care at some point in our lives. So we want to make sure that we have policies that have dignity, and we have people who are being paid living wages and paid with dignity in every single profession in the United States of America. Because, again, we all do better when we do better. And I got to tell you, Chris, every time you're here, you you really deliver these points so succinctly. I mean, we've talked in the past about how Guns are the leading cause of death 
for children in America and it's preventable. We've talked about last time you were here, we talked about the fact that six out of 10 people who need abortion care are already moms. But I, I got to tell you, I applaud you for shining such a light on the need to pass the Working Family Tax Relief Act and the American Family Act to bring back the child tax credit and then stop cutting SNAP. How can people who want to help and learn more about what mom's rising, how can they learn more and how can they help? Well, Moms Rising is everywhere, hopefully. We're for moms and anyone who has ever had a mom. So you can find us at momsrising.org on all platforms. Also, Mamas Con Poder in Espanol. And then how can you help? You can get involved with an organization like Moms Rising, but you can also just use your voice on your own. All of the people who are listening, you have a story. You've either had access to healthcare and been able to use it and thrived, or you haven't had access to healthcare. You've either had access to affordable childcare or not. You can call your member of Congress up and say, hey, I have a story to tell you. And my story shares why these policies are important and why you cannot ignore the importance of families and your constituents and know that you are not alone. Polling shows that Democrats, Republicans, independents, libertarians, people of all parties actually support a care infrastructure, support dignity, support change. So we're just waiting for our politicians to catch up. And the way to catch them up is to hear from you. You are so good. I will give you the highest compliment I can give you. Every time I hear you talk, I need to have a pen to write down half the stuff you say. Kristen Rowe Finkbeiner is executive director, CEO, and co-founder of Moms Rising and board president of the Moms Rising Education Fund. Follow her on Twitter. We still call that at Moms Rising or Rowe Finkbeiner. Please come back soon. It's always a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for having me. Have a great one. We'll be right back with your calls. This is Progress. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm John Fugelsang. This is SiriusXM Progress. We're at 866-997-4748. I just want to remind you, no matter what you're going through, no matter how heavy your burden is, no matter how hard life might seem, you're having a much better year than Kevin McCarthy. Let's bring in Lee Papa, the great political blogger known as the Root Pundit. Lee's got gazillions of, of weekly readers. He's a regular on the Stephanie Miller Show. Mr. Root Pundit, welcome back to SiriusXM. Hey, John. Great to be back. Great to have you back. Thank you very much. I, I don't want to be too mean to Kevin McCarthy, but I, I, what does it mean when, when, when you, you can't even... I understand it's too hard to get a vote on a short-term spending plan. That's too tough because yeah. Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene control your party. But, I mean, there's 12 days left to avoid a shutdown. And today, dude couldn't even get the Pentagon funding bill. Lee, 
hold my hand. What does it mean when the Republicans can't agree to fund the damn military? Oh, it, I don't know. I guess it's Democrats in disarray. That's really what it must <laughs> oh, be. Oh, it's like Wolf it's, Blitzer's right here. It's like bad news. It must be bad news for Biden. Uh-huh. Uh, it's also, you know, it's really telling that five Republicans voted with Democrats um, uh, against the bill. I mean, they mm-hmm. just really want to fuck up his world. And, you know, I don't know how much longer he's going. I mean, he, he's essentially a hostage. You know, we're watching yes. somebody who is a hostage to the, the craziest fucking people who he helped get elected and who exactly. put him in off and who put him in the speaker's chair with on the back of a deal that they don't think he's honoring, even though he's trying to honor it like a politician would. Um, you know, <laughs> he is. He's trying to say, okay, I promised you this. I promised you we do the indictment thing. Fine, we're doing the indictment thing. And they're like, no, you, mean, no, the, you, you mean the impeachment? You mean the impeachment or I'm the sorry, indictment? Are we talking? Sorry, thank you. Because there's there's the indictment thing and the impeachment thing. Which one? Yes. He promised the impeachment thing. And by the way, we got to keep making fun of him for it. The real reason why they didn't have a vote wasn't because Nancy Pelosi was the one person to call for it. The real reason why they didn't have a vote is little Kevy knows he doesn't have the votes to authorize it proper. Right, because even the Republicans are getting sick of the fucking Matt Gateses and and the 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 Gosars and the Marjorie Taylor Greens. I mean, they're just you know there are Republicans and they they want shitty things, but they want to get shitty things done. And, you know, they know, like Mitch McConnell said tonight, which is that a government shutdown is a loser for Republicans. Yeah. But, you know, when you're dealing with arsonists, all they know is fire. So an unpopular impeachment inquiry and an unpopular government shutdown on the eve of a major election year. And now McCarthy has got no viable plan to fund our government. And it's 12 days left. Until a shutdown. I mean, this self-sabotage is not something I'm used to seeing from the Republicans. And you're right. We're seeing more and more Republicans that are open to cutting a deal with Democrats, which would really infuriate Matt Gaetz. So I like it even more. But this group, the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus, which is like, you know, centrist Democrats and centrist Republicans, they're meeting tomorrow to discuss what plan B will be. And uh, Hakeem Jeffries is going to be there. Could there be something really good to come out of all this disarray? Could the Republicans... Republicans who might be wrong about a lot of shit, but at least they're the adults in the room, decide they're going to supersede both limp little Kevin and the Nazi caucus? I mean, you know, it would essentially be negotiating the end of McCarthy's speakership. I mean, that really because there's no way that if they if if they if they just, uh, you know, vote on on discharging a bill that they can then that they can finally vote on that uh, that that the, the crazies would let McCarthy stay. I mean, it's really that's part of the negotiation, I God. think. You know, do you want Steve Scalise in there? <laughs> well, actually, I'm terrified. I actually feel like Steve Scalise yeah. would be the Democrats' worst nightmare because as yeah. evil as Steve Scalise is, and he really is evil, yeah. I'm glad he's wearing a mask. But, I mean, Steve Scalise would be, don't you think, much more ruthlessly effective than Kevin McCarthy? Steve Scalise can bridge the moderates with the Nazis because he's been both. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I, you know, so there's got, there is a fine line to be walked here. And, uh, and, you know, whenever I see these groups get together, I think that there are just, uh, there are just people, especially on the right waiting to blow this up that, 
I don't know. <laughs> you know, I at this yeah. point, at this point, I, I, I really thought that the defense budget would go through. I really thought I did too. That, you know, the, the one thing Republicans have stood on for since I've been aware of politics and uh, and they couldn't even do this. So, yeah, I mean, well, not 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 for begin. not for nothing, Lee. But thanks to Tommy Tuberville, we're now seeing uh, the Republicans are the party of defund the Pentagon. I mean, Tommy Tuberville, who the jackass from Alabama, who doesn't even live in Alabama. Right. Is willing to shut the entire military down and have three seats on the Joint Chiefs still unfilled because he is so convinced that women in uniform don't have the right to determine what happens with their bodies. And and let's also say that that I don't think it's a stretch to say that one of the things that's inspiring him is McConnell hope holding open the Supreme Court seat. Because I do think there's also a calculation that, okay, we'll wait until Trump's elected and then he can fill it, and which was also a calculation that McConnell made. And uh, so, you know, I think that th- they've just decided that this is the path to this is this this is the path, you know, that we will tr- fuck things up as much as we as we, we don't care for fucking things up as long mm. as the end result is that we get to keep the power. You're right. But I mean, we're used to hearing the Republicans in the last, what, 15, 20 years threatening to shut down the government because they're fighting with Democrats. Right. I've never seen them shut down the government because they're fighting with each other, you know, yeah. and, and um, McCarthy was told his the, the, the right wingers last week to fucking try removing him from the speakership and allowed that to leak. Matt Gates is going on a Twitter war against Byron Donalds. Um, who still doesn't know how apostrophes work. Let me quote two Republicans here. Mike Garcia, who is a veteran, he went after these five right-wing holdouts and said they handed a victory to the Chinese Communist Party by voting against the most conservative DOD bill in modern history. Tom Cole of Oklahoma said, these are the kinds of things people will remember for a long time. I mean, we should remember that as awful as Kevin McCarthy is, the Nazi caucus controlling him and keeping him as hostage, they're, they're much worse. Yeah, they are. They are. And that this is what awaits us. You know, this this is who will encourage and benefit from a Trump reelection and are chomping at the bit for that. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Is the end I guess the end game is get rid of McCarthy and, you know, that's and and install a Scalise or a or a or a jim uh wow i can't jim uh jordan comer oh jim jordan oh well i'm jim jordan i'm not afraid of i mean honestly i think the one person that should be leading this party is george santos but since that won't happen i wouldn't mind jim jordan being the face of the party um and i wouldn't mind matt gates being the extremely large forehead of this fucking party on top of all this mccarthy just announced he's not going to meet with zelensky one-on-one to show how butch he is to the pro-Hitler caucus. And Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis has fallen so far. Now Politico wrote a whole piece about how he's going after McCarthy and joining up with Marjorie Taylor Gates to attack Kevy all day. I mean, Lee, we, we keep hearing about the ages and we keep hearing about how Biden's too old, Biden's too old. But Nancy Pelosi was 82 years old. Did she have a hard time keeping her caucus in a row? Did she have a hard time getting the conservatives and the AOCs on the same page when she needed it? Yeah. Yeah. And no, no. And she could do it now. She could do it now with, you know, with 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 one crone arm tied behind her back. She could do it. (laughs) 
You're very, very right. Um, we are at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. We kid, but this is scary. I mean, there could be a government shutdown. You know, and again, the political fallout will land squarely on the Republicans, which I guess would be good news for Joe Biden, who, for some reason, kind of needs it. You know, we're we're hearing more and more now that uh, there's a recovery. We know there's a recovery. Unemployment at its lowest levels in 50 years. And yet uh, it's on paper. And there's no denying that there's price gouging. There is there is corporate greed, which Biden still calls inflation. Uh, But uh, it's begun to get a little bit scary. It seemed like Ron DeSantis was finished. Donald Trump has seven criminal trials between now and the RNC. Mm -hmm. And it was looking pretty good for old Joe in the last week or two. Do you get the same vibe I get that the mainstream media is sort of already writing obituaries for Biden's presidency? Yeah, but, you know, come on. They were writing obituaries for his presidential campaign in, you know, in 2020. I mean, uh, you know, he didn't he didn't have any momentum until uh, really until covid and South Carolina and uh, and the South Carolina primary. And then it it turned things around for him. And that wasn't until March, February, March 2020. And so so, you know, I I just. It is so easy to fall into the despair of the polls and uh, and it's demoralizing to, you know, like like what it's demoralizing to think that 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 any poll could even show Trump close to to Biden. But I also think that Biden, you know, he's just he hasn't really gotten in campaign mode. I do think he needs to unleash Democrats and say, fuck it, go full force on Donald Trump's indictments and every fucking thing he's doing wrong. I'm glad he's fighting back on, you know, Trump all of a sudden seeming like he's trying to present himself as rational on abortion after bragging about Roe v. Wade going away because of him. And uh, I'm glad that that um, that Biden's finally going after him by name and 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 separating him out as as a as an extremist on abortion that he'll make things worse. You know, so Trump that's actually I think I want I unleash the Democrats. I, I, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see Democrats acting like Democrats again. I began the show by saying Joe Biden needs to get on a plane to Detroit yesterday and yep. be filmed walking on the picket line with the yep. workers, which a sitting president has never done. But if he's yep. going to go around bragging that he's the most pro-union president of all time, he got to put it where he says it and show up there because Donald Trump is really making a play to try to make people think he's on the side of these workers when in reality yep. he hates unions and he's lying about the entire electric car business yeah yeah and the only unions he ever dealt with were the ones that were run by the mob in uh in new york city and and you know he 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 disparaged them he tried to use workers outside of unions he yeah it was the man despises unions he sees them as his as a builder in new york city he sees them as the enemy you're right. You're totally right. Think about how far this party's fallen from Eisenhower to this. I mean, with Reagan in the middle being union buster in chief. Uh, yeah. Lee, I, I, I want to ask you about something. Um, what I'm getting attacked for all day long uh, on the socials. I don't know if you know this, but Twitter, bit, bit of a bit of a bit of a, a mean place. Twitter's a place where if you want to be called a cuck and a pedo, uh, if you want to be called a Nazi and a communist, um, it's a good place to go. And no, no, you're a national socialist. You're a national socialist. Exactly. So, so, so people are really, really angry that Joe Biden was in New York City today and spoke about the need to continue supporting our ally Ukraine in the face of Russia's genocidal invasion and wholesale slaughter of civilians. 
Even though Russia signed a deal 30 years ago with Ukraine where they took all of Ukraine's nukes and promised to always respect the borders. Now, yep. the problem that I'm having is I'm getting a lot of this from the left. And our friends on the on the far left, who we love, lo- love them very much, and who hate Biden more than they hate Trump, who mm-hmm. blame, you know, uh, Hillary Clinton for the end of Roe v. Wade, but not Donald Trump and not jerk offs in swing states who voted uh, third party when Roe v. Wade was on the line. Mm-hmm. But the big thing now is to call Biden a warmonger and call liberals warmongers. Uh, anyone who supports what's happening, anyone who supports, you know, uh, defending Ukraine is now suddenly. When did the liberals become the war? I thought you guys were against war. And Lee, I'm ready to stab somebody over it. Because to me, uh, we opposed George Bush's imperialistic war against a neighbor that against a country that was small and never attacked him. Mm-hmm. And we oppose Vladimir Putin's genocidal invasion of a smaller country that never attacked him. Am mm-hmm. I wrong in thinking the liberals have actually been very consistent when it comes to invasions? Yeah, we don't want we 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 learned our lesson in not stopping Hitler early, you know, and and mm-hmm. that was and, and it was an option. And, uh, you know, it's it's sort of like and 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 we learned our lesson in Bosnia where we didn't stop things in, in it early enough. Right. Um, you know, we've seen it time and time again. So what are we going to do? Are we going to let Russia just peel away parts of Ukraine until until it's got most of the country, if not the entire country, which is what the real goal is. And then yeah. are we going to say, OK, well, do they get to pick off every non-NATO country or pieces of them until uh, until finally there's a line maybe, I don't know, in Germany that they don't crawl, that they that that finally it's OK to get upset about. It's like. You know, saying saying to somebody, you know, don't putting a gun to somebody's head and saying, don't force me to shoot you. And then being on the side of the person with the gun is just fucking irrational. You know, you you are not for peace if you're for the person that is slaughtering people. And and I and I don't understand why uh, those people on that part of the left. And I get I get the pacifist left. I get it. I understand. Yeah. But there's a difference pacifism and passivism and just you know laying it down laying down and saying saying you know what we just gotta let them do it because that way there'll be less violence if they don't defend themselves you know it's like i i I mean and and i use this as an example let me well please go ahead no it's a stupid example but i'll use it i once um somebody broke into the apartment where i was staying with the woman i was dating at the time she happened to have a gun i picked up the gun and pointed it at the bedroom door as the person tried the locked bedroom door to get in fully prepared to shoot and i was like holy shit i don't believe in this i don't believe in this but the motherfucker we found out later had a giant knife and had he gotten through the door you know I don't know what would have happened. He thought I was at her place. He thought she was there alone. That's right. So, so it's like, I felt like, oh my God, have I really betrayed all of the things I believe about nonviolence and all of this? Because I was fully prepared to shoot this motherfucker if he came through the door. And a friend of mine was like, no, if the motherfucker comes through the door and you have a gun, you shoot them. Yeah, I mean, you can also view it as I'm defending her against the guy with a big knife breaking into the place. But you make a great point. I mean, with our Republican friends who are really going to try to shut down our government so we stop funding uh, the Ukraine resistance, 
No one's arguing to send American troops. I don't want American troops to go. They should not go. That's a deal breaker for me, too. But again, it's the same hypocrisy. They will not criticize Putin. They won't blame Putin for, you know, I, I blame George Lucas for Jar Jar. I blame Putin for invading this country. And yet the same folks who are OK with Bush's authoritarian invasion are just fine with Putin's authoritarian invasion. And, you know, Lee, if we give Hitler Czechoslovakia, he'll behave then, won't he? I mean, yeah. give him Czechoslovakia. Then he'll then he'll he'll be happy and he won't bother anybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous to me that, you know, and then we're supposed to listen every time every time Putin seems to say, well, you're going to force me to use uh, nuclear weapons. It's like you've already threatened that. And you know what? Yeah. People have done the shit that you said you would use nukes over. And, you know, you're not going to. And mm. and it's and, you know, it's it, and I agree with you about sending troops. But it's like, at what point does it? Is not if the international community can't stand up to bullies, then there is no use to have any kind of international cooperation. Thank you. Um, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to the phones. Let's talk to some of the riffraff. I want to know what else is on your radar, uh, Mr. Papa. But uh, let's say hello to. We're going to get to all of our calls tonight, so please be patient on hold. Sean in California, you've been on hold the longest. You're on with the rude pundit. Hello. Hey, brother. Well, you know, first of all. I don't know if you're going to agree, but what I say with in regards to the union strike and all that kind of stuff, yeah, Biden's always been a very big advocate. My thing is, I say it is a legalized slavery, and I, and I know that it's not true technically, of course, because people are, you know, not getting swatted and and, you know, all the horrible things. But the fact of the matter is, if you only have half the income to, you know, be able to afford a, a place to live, and right. then the other half is gone, right? Um, yeah. You can't live in our society. So my point is, I, I think that um, Joe Biden needs to get out there all the time, like you said, on the picket line, and, and let everyone know, look, I stand with you. And, and he doesn't have to say it the way I say, because I do believe it is uh, legalized slavery. And that's right. my term, not anyone else's. I'm not. Yeah, I'd, 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 be, my... I'd, be, I'd be wary of using that phrase too many times, but I get exactly what you're saying. Right. I, I, because I, I, the point is, you work your ass off. You right. do everything to do everything that is afforded in our country. And then you can barely, you're going check to check. That's you're it. going pay period. That's not the way what it should be an American ideal. The ideal should be you can, you know, be okay for the entire year and the next year and everything else. It doesn't mean that you're going to have a private jet. Correct. And fucking have Ferraris. Just a and decent like standard of living, a decent standard of living. Lee, do you want to jump in? Yes. Yeah, the only thing that I'd like to add is that one of the things I love about what the UAW is striking for is for those workers that aren't considered, you know, full-time employees of it, that are considered temporary or contract workers, Both, that yes. they want their pay raised to something comparable to the regular workers so that so that they can't just bring in a workforce and pay them less and uh and also and and exploit them people who and and so we saw that with uh with with the threat of the UPS strike it was let's right. pay pay those workers you know a decent wage 
and give them the same kind of benefits. It benefits the the workers overall because, you know, then you don't have to worry about losing your job to a lower paid, you know, contractor temporary worker. Yeah. Um, but it's also it also is say is saying you're a valued skilled employee and we're going oh. to treat you like that. So that we that is something and since so much of our economy has shifted in that way, um, whether it's the gig economy or whatever, that the idea of paying people a comparable wage to those who are full who are full time, it's a must. And I'm glad unions are standing up for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well what you know, I agree with that hundred and fifty percent. What I'm saying is, look, what the union people are standing for right now, and I know I have, I'm way over the top on this, but look, if you made double what they're making right now, they could live a decent life, have a quality of life, and and participate in capitalism, which is a consumer economy, and then boom, everything rises up. Rich people get richer. Everyone gets richer. And, you know, I'm saying, you know, stop with trying to keep these wages down. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Thank you very much, Sean. Very Thanks, brilliant. brother. Thank you. Lee, what's been getting you uh, enraged? What's on your radar this week? What's been getting me <laughs> enraged? Oh, everything, John. Fucking everything. <laughs> um, you know, the uh, you know, we talked some about Biden, uh, the attacks on Biden's age. We've talked some about the polling that says Biden is down. That's been getting me. The book banning stuff is always getting to me, you know, yeah. being, being a professor, um, you know, that that stuff is just insane. The, what was the latest thing is that uh, there was a school in, I believe, Texas. I'm not 100 percent sure if it was Texas where there was a they were reading a graphic novel version of Diary of Anne Frank mm-hmm. and you know, which has some talk about sexuality in it, because that's one of the yep. things about it's a teenage Anne Frank. girl. Uh, by yep. the way, that you, you are correct. Houston. 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 Yes, that's right. And, and 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 again, this is the illustrated version of Anne Frank, and they fired the teacher for assigning it. And the Houston school district sent an apology letter to parents for assigning it, saying the reading of that content will cease immediately. Your student's teacher will communicate her apologies to you and your students soon, as she has oppressed those apologies to us. Lee, yeah. tell me, when in history have the people banning books been proven to be the good guys? Uh, never. <laughs> Absolutely never. And, you know, the fact that you know, there's all these school, there's the school districts that are banning books based on complaints by a tiny group, sometimes one or two people that just go through and and file the complaints. Um, and, you know, I, I have I have kind of a funny side story, not a side. It's it's directly connected. A friend of mine, Professor Arlene Stein, she wrote a book about interviewing trans men who had gone through mm-hmm. top surgery. Sorry, I can't remember the name of the book right now, but but in Galveston, Texas, the book was was featured in a library setup that uh, was was for, you know, for LGBTQ pride. And so the book was there. I think it's called Unbound. I think that might be the name. Okay. Of it. And so it was up to be banned. They were going to remove it from they were going to remove it from the library. And what happened was, and she, and at first she said, she said, well, uh, I hear that they have to read it. That's part of the rules is they have to read the book. So she said, great, 11 copies of my book will be bought because they have to read the book. <laughs> Except what happened was they looked at this kind of academic book and saw that it was a 300 page book that was, you know, it's again, a great book, highly recommend it, but they didn't want to read it. 
So they were like, you know what? We're just going to let this one go. It can stay. We don't think the teenagers are going to be picking this book up. So because of the laziness of the actual people involved in book banning, because it's not like thumbing through Dr. Seuss and saying, oh, look, there's a drawing of a of a butt. Um, (laughs) it, It takes a little effort to have to ban that book. Yeah, uh, Chris, by the way, uh, filled us in. It's, the book is called Top Surgery, colon, Unbound, colon, An Insider's Guide to Chest Masculinization Surgery. I want to look into that myself. Um, but yeah, you know, it, 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 the, the, the hubrisly of thinking that a book written by a 13-year-old girl in the 1940s mm-hmm. has got something in it that is going to damage your child in this century. I mean, yeah. w- these people are weak. They are weak people. You know, I uh, remember um, a number of years ago when I lived in Indiana, which I did. I, you know, always will. Regret. There's good people there. There's good people there. There are good. I And I knew a lot of good people there. David Letterman, still, you know, John, John, still, John Mellencamp. Well, they left. But yeah, you know. They, they, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. still Indiana. But anyway, the Children's Museum there, um, you know, I would take my kid to the Children's Museum when she was little and they had a Holocaust uh, exhibit four at the Children's Museum, where they had mm-hmm. the Diary of Anne Frank and a whole thing about it. And they had readings of the Diary of Anne Frank. And uh, and they had Holocaust survivors there. And uh, my daughter at at four years old is talking to a, a Holocaust survivor. Wow. And yeah. And it was and it was like it was like it was so uh encouraging that they were that they were doing that i wonder if they would be able to do that now i mean this was in the the early 2000s i wonder if they would be able to do that now lee before i i let you go i want to ask you one last question really quick russell brand obviously uh that story broke it's terrible uh unless you're hassan (laughs) hassan minaj uh but it's (laughs) terrible and you know i was asked to go on news nation tonight because YouTube has uh, demonetized all of his accounts and they wanted me to come on and be the liberal and support this. And I said, well, I'm sorry. Uh, You know, I I think he's innocent until proven guilty. But I do think a private corporation has every right to say no shoes, no service. If we think it's bad for our brand to have you making money off of it, we're going to kick you off. But I mean, he is still owed the benefit of the doubt, at least in our legal system. And it's worth pointing out a 31 year old man having sex with a 16 year old is still very legal in the U.K., I this feel I, there's a part of me that's thinking about that meme of from uh from the Mad Max Thun, Fury Road movie of that's bait. And- <laughs> I mean, I said I wrote to them. I said, look, you're not going to want me on this paddle because I'm not going to come out here and defend YouTube. Uh, he's innocent until proven guilty. But yeah, this is corporate America. You know, uh, Netflix didn't. Well, they wait thought for you were going to. They thought, yeah, they wanted that they wanted the liberal they could beat up on. But Netflix didn't wait for a trial to fire Kevin Spacey from their top show. Uh, you know, people didn't wait for a trial to cancel Bill Cosby or Harvey Weinstein. This is the market deciding, isn't it? Right. Yeah. That, no, that's totally different. No, I, I, I completely agree with you. And I obviously I don't think he should be imprisoned. But, you know, I, I think we I think we're getting too used to the idea. I'll compare it to Trump. Here's Trump accused of all these things, and he is suffering no consequences of that's it. Right. He, that's right. You know, how do you get indicted on 91 felonies and not suffer a single fucking consequence where you can't where you you can just freely go around and fuck with the, uh, the entire judicial system? So, yeah, I do think that that, you know, yes, you're innocent until proven guilty. That's the way the criminal justice system works. But you know what? If there's a bunch of shit out there about you, 
I, you know, I always go back to that great routine by, um, oh my God, I'm going to forget his name. The stand-up comedian pimp uh, does the whole pimp thing. Um, Cat Williams? Cat Williams. His Michael Jackson rant. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, he's like, you know what? If every if everybody says that you're smoke, if everybody you know says you're smoking crack, motherfucker, you're smoking crack. <laughs> Lee, it is always a great pleasure to have you class up our show. What is the best way for our evil army of the night to follow you and keep up with all your doings? Always on, still on the Twixter. Um, that's uh, at Rude Pundit. I'm on all the other things at Rude Pundit Threads. Still doing the blog coming up next week. 20th anniversary of my blog. Congratulations. Congratulations. Root Pundit, thank you so much for everything you do. Everyone, follow Lee Pop of the Root Pundit, and we will see you next week. I really appreciate it. Take care. All right. Thanks, John. Quick, thank you. Quick break. Be right back with all your calls. This is Progress After Dark. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. This is SiriusXM Progress. We're at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Taking your calls all the way till midnight on the East Coast, 9 p.m. on the Pacific. Getting a lot of hate because we had Marianne Williamson back. Look, folks, couple of points on this. Number one, she's running as a Democrat. She's not running as a third party. Having said that, I'm always happy to book third parties. I'm happy to have Bobby Kennedy Jr. back on this show. I'm happy to have any Republican candidates on this show. I don't care. Number two, I think that having a crowded field with people more progressive than him made Joe Biden a better candidate and a better president. It certainly made him a better progressive. Uh, And number three, here's what I'll say to anybody who's turned off by us booking Marianne. I encourage you strongly to listen to the conversation and then let me know what you think. I promise you it is not an anti-Biden conversation. It is a pro-democracy conversation, and she's saying the same things that you want to hear progressives say. I really recommend you guys hear it. Also, here's Chuck Schumer. Uh, He is not entertained by all of these shenanigans and fuckeries going about in the House of Representatives. We're days away once again from a government shutdown, all at the hands of this endless MAGA madness. The only way to avoid a shutdown is very simple, bipartisanship. We need a bipartisan bill in the House. We need a bipartisan bill in the Senate. 
and then we will be able to avoid a shutdown and keep the government funding. Yet, this week, House Republicans are trying everything but bipartisanship, even though everyone knows their proposed CR is a total non-starter in the Senate, and it has no, no Democratic input. He's right, you know. Jessica is on the line from the great state of Maine. Jessica, thank you so much for waiting on hold. You're on SiriusXM. Yes, I was calling. I wanted to thank you for a good memory today. Oh, oh okay. Tell me. Okay. Unfortunately, my husband died seven years ago today. I'm so sorry. And Today's I, the anniversary. I'm so sorry. Thank you. But so what I, I tried to do is try to remember something that was good. Yeah. No, yeah. And so I was on the interstate and I started because the last gift he had given me were tickets to see the Who at the Fleet Center. And on the way back, he had a headache, didn't know he had a brain tumor. So I'm driving, I'm laughing and trying not to make any noise. And I got to the end of your story and I almost drove off the road. And it was about when you were chopping peppers to make chickpea tikka masala. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So then... And then it, it, and what was so funny is he woke up because then I when I almost went off the road, and so I told him the story, and he's like, "I don't know who this guy is. If I ever meet him, I'm going to thank him for returning the favor for the time you almost got me to drive off the road." <laughs> and that was we were in the car with the kids. They had had a babysitter, and they were telling us how. Michaela, our daughter, was only five, and so she was into Barbies, and so the babysitter was being a sport and playing with her. And our son's five years older, and he brought in his G.I. Joe and Terminator things, and our daughter wanted to have a Terminator midge. I'm like, okay, fine. (laughs) So we had bought her a new Ken doll, and she had this outfit, so she takes off the clothes that he came in. And one of the things he had, it was this, like, gold fishnet crop shirt on Ken, mm-hmm. for Ken. It was ridiculous. Anyway, so Pat Ken, and he's holding it up during this whole conversation and with Terminator Midge, and he's got it in front of his face, and he says, gee, I wonder how Terminator Midge would look in this. <laughs> okay. And that was Steve's reaction. And I leaned over and whispered something in his ear, and we all there near got killed. Because I, because what I said was, you know, that gives all new meaning to the term torpedo tits. <laughs> oh my God! I, I, wow! So, so I you had are my you are my kind of lady to find to find laughter and joy on a on a day like this. Yes, I, the the day I found we got his terminal diagnosis was much harder. It's been seven years, and at five years, when it was five years, I drove around to various places we had lived and visited, and I decided I was just going to make sure that each anniversary I was going to try to remember as many happy things as I could. And that's, that's it. So I was on the interstate today, and that's what I remembered. Wow. I can't believe you remember that story, because my, my assistant has been trying to get me to do that story in stand-up for a long time, because it's a very painfully true story about pain but um that was when we were on in the daytime on the insight channel right which was a very different 
Yeah, very different kind of channel. That was we did some politics, but I always called that channel, you know, NPR with dick jokes. And and um, yeah. for those who don't know, it was a true story. Uh, you know, I was trying to become a better person, and and I was talking about like like you know, when you try to wonder what was it that made me crazy, what was the inciting incident that made me damage goods. I always kind of wonder: was there a moment when something happened that just kind of fucked me up, and I, I I'm too old to remember it, but it happened when I was very young. What what was it that damaged me as a small child and made me so weird? And I. I I told the story how I'm trying to be a better dad and I'm I'm trying to learn how to cook and every word of the story is true we were we were doing this uh, home meals and it was a very spicy chicken tikka masala with with a garlic and a serrano peppers I had to I had to dice serrano peppers and I'm learning I don't know how to cook but I can read so I figure I can do this and I'm cutting up the serrano peppers and, and it's going well and I'm trying to get my little two-year-old in the bath and get everything ready for bath time and he's in the bath and then I, I go to use the restroom and here's the funny thing about me I always wash my hands after I use the restroom no one ever told me if you're going to be cutting serrano peppers to make a very spicy dish it might be a good idea to wash your hands before you use the bathroom. And so mm -hmm. I didn't know that. I, I did the Lord's work. I washed my hands. I'm back in the kitchen with my wife and I feel this burning, this searing, nuclear, flaming uh, in a very sensitive area. And I turned to my wife and I said, honey, I haven't been having unprotected sex with prostitutes, have I? Um, and I, I more, my junk was on fire, uh, like on fire. And I run into the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and good Lord, it, I look like a, I look like a Rolling Stones look crimson red, like a baboon's ass, crimson and burning and flaming. And I I hop in a shower downstairs. That didn't help. I'm I'm trying to I mean, it was so painful. I couldn't even function. It's a very long, horrible story. And then finally, I remembered, oh, wait, there's aloe upstairs in the kids bathroom. And I run upstairs and I throw open my bathrobe because it was too painful to wear pants at this point. And I just slather myself this this beat red, horrifically, violently scarlet thing in, in my sensitive area and I, I pour the aloe all over it to finally cool off and I look in the tub and there's my two-year-old watching me and seeing all of this and I thought up oh, that's the inciting incident someday my kid will be in a therapist's office trying to remember what was it that damaged him and fucked him up for life I haven't ever told that story since then and I can't believe you remember it and it fills my heart with happiness to know that it gave your husband a chuckle it makes all my pain and humiliation and, and the psychological yeah. damage to my child worth it so thank you he laughed so hard and he said if I ever meet this, the guy who told that story I am just going to thank you before it <laughs> <laughs> so, tell, tell me your husband's name His name is Steve Good Irish guy, Steve O'Shaughnessy Steve, okay, well Jessica Please, next time you talk to, to Steve Next time you're having some words with him Please thank him for me And, uh, and I thank you so much for, for making me smile today Okay, well thank you And you have a good evening Thank you, it's a lucky man You made him a lucky man <laughs> 